0: Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet
1: since April of 2014 when I read a book by a, a professor, Stephen Finney, <laughs> called The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Low Living. Yeah. Uh, when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes, and within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100
0: pounds, I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And reversing diabetes. Yeah, and hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah,
1: we're not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a favorite little technical detail, are we, Carl? Non. <laughs> We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes.
0: And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Mm. We love to cook and we love to eat. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that's not bad. Yep. It's not <laughs> bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. so let's start podcast number one forty-one. The grandfather of the ketogenic diet, Professor Stephen Finney. Heard you say- for little. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Yeah, that was uh, show 140, Low Carb Sydney with Dr.
1: Paul Mason. Yeah. I think Paul got everything right. Uh, we probably didn't. So, <laughs> you, know, you know how it goes. But nobody's called us out on it yet. Yeah, they haven't. If you heard anything you didn't like, let us know. Dudes at 2ketodudes.com. Right. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. It's a ketogenic diet is uh, one that puts you into a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. Yes. Um, and the, the easiest way to do that is just don't give your body any glucose to burn and it will be forced to burn fat. Um, and the easiest way to do that, 20 grams or less of carbohydrates. Our guest who invented nutritional ketosis says below 50, uh, but some people will need to go to 20. Um Moderate protein, uh, we use between one and one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Uh, we get all of our energy from fat. Yep. And, you know, if you're just starting, uh, listen to our starting keto show at start.toketo.com. Well, buddy, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty stressful, actually. I've just finished my biology exam, um, uh. and I think I aced it, actually. <laughs> I think <laughs> I did pretty well. Uh, it was a three-hour exam and, but at that at, the two-hour mark, I, I was done and I stood up and I, I think I was the first or second to, to leave and uh, um, either I aced it or I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so we, we shall see in my exam results. Um, also, yeah. I've started Carnovember, mm. which is uh, a a month of eating only meat, salt and water. Um, I'm also eating a little bit of dairy. I'm eating eggs, although I haven't eaten any eggs so far in them up, um, and I, I I don't think that uh, mushrooms qualify as a plant. I think fungi ah. like uh, fungi are herbivores.
0: They eat uh, lignin from trees. That's right. Fungus is classified as neither animal nor vegetable, right? Well, it's definitely
1: not vegetable, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna count it. Right. Uh, but I I I haven't eaten any mushrooms yet. I may not eat mushrooms. Mm. I, I said that with uh, when I went over lactose vegetarian i was going to eat fish but yeah. i only had fish really sort of two days in the entire month so anyway that's uh so uh, yeah carnivore this month and there's a whole bunch of people joining us for carnival and then also i'm getting ready for low carb sydney that's on this saturday the 10th of november mm-hmm. uh, we'll put a link in the show notes but that's a uh, low carb event in sydney yeah very good which i'm am seeing at. so that's my my week was yours
0: Pretty good. I'm also starting Car November, but I'm doing it a little differently. I guess I'm going to call it Carl Car November or Carl November. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever.
1: Carlvember.
0: Yeah, Carlvember. <laughs> so I'm eating only animal products with the exception of garlic and herbs. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much it. I'm I'm going to have you know cream, heavy cream. I'm going to have butter. I'm going to have mm-hmm. eggs. I haven't, well, although I just started yesterday. I haven't had any eggs yet. But and uh and I'm and I'm allowing myself a little garlic. For flavor and, okay. and herbs so no veggies to speak of but i hope that will uh, give me the same effect hoping yeah mm. um also uh i've been editing some of the videos from low carb houston and yeah you got that was a pretty quick turnaround well yeah the system that we're using is pretty sophisticated and it's fairly new it allows us mm. to stream and as we're streaming we're also recording and we're switching the cameras live And as we do that, the recording gets those edits as well. So we Mm. have two cameras plus the slides and we can swap back and forth between them. We can go up to three cameras, but I only brought two Mm -hmm. with me. Mm. And then as soon as uh, the stream is over, that entire um, stream is a YouTube video and it's all edited. Now it's not Mm. perfect. It doesn't have perfect audio levels or quality. And you know, the camera colors need to be fixed a bit the video uh, mm-hmm. coloration needs to be fixed ah, so it's post production yeah so a little post production but mm-hmm. here's what we're doing folks we've announced the date for ketofest 2019 sure have. it's officially up there at ketofest.com mm-hmm. uh it's the weekend of july 20th 2019 yeah, it's
1: going to be the 50th anniversary of neil armstrong uh, uh Great leap for mankind. That's right. So uh, I'm not sure what the theme is going to be because I mean the first QFS theme was uh, uh, pay it forward, and the second one was um, expand your community. Yeah. Um, this one I don't know what it's going to be. It might we might uh, have a riff on the idea of Michael Collins who um, orbited the moon not knowing whether he was going back himself or with uh, two guys and
0: some moon rocks. So interesting. Um
1: yeah. Well I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna come up with a really
0: good thing, but yeah, you know, we we'll uh, do a Joseph uh, Campbell uh, thing on a hero's journey, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, I like we, that. We have a lot of time to think about that. We have a lot of stuff. But one yeah. thing <laughs> I want to mention is that there's a, a form at KetoFest.com mm. where you can, you know, put in your name and email address and just sign up to be notified when the Kickstarter goes live. Now, we have a tentative date for the Kickstarter to go live. That's going to be February 18th. Mm -hmm. And every week between now and then, we are going to release a Keto Fest video, Keto Fest 2018 video. Yeah. Right? And a Low Carb Houston video. Keto Fest Mm -hmm. videos will come out with our shows on Monday. And the Low Carb Houston video will come out on Thursday. Nice. And we are releasing one today. From Keto Fest.
1: And uh, what video are we releasing today, Carl?
0: So, we're releasing Eric Westman's video. Ah, nice. Yeah. And uh, I think it was called something like, do we really need grass-fed meat? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, true. I know people who've done a ketogenic diet, reverse their diabetes, eating McDonald's. So right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, it's all very well and good to, to eat real food. And you and I, we love cooking and we like... Uh, we like um, using great ingredients, but, mm. you know, if you can only
0: afford to do- eat McDonald's, you can you can reverse diabetes. Yep, you sure can. Um, the other thing is um, my documentary slash series that I'm working on um, getting uh, ready. Keto Fixer. I'm getting ready. Yeah. It's called The Keto Fixer. Mm-hmm. And um, the two guys that I'm following are doing great. Uh, Ron and Dave are their names. And they're, oh, they're both absolutely crushing it. And I was approached by a friend of mine who's really heavy and really sick, and uh, he wants to do it. And, and I'm thinking I'm going to make him the sole subject of the documentary. Um, the guys okay. that I'm doing right now, uh, I'm going to use in a, in a trailer. And yeah. I might actually take their stories and make them separate videos. Um, But, but I think that uh, this, this one guy um, is going to have a really dramatic success. I'm hoping anyway, I haven't, I I have no reason to doubt that he's going to just shred it, but uh, it's going to be a dramatic, dramatic uh, thing if it happens.
1: Cool. Yep. Well I'm I'm actually working on a uh, video series myself. Uh, as soon as my exams are done I'm going to do uh, some videos debunking bad science journalism. I love it. So, you know all these articles about uh, how ketogenic diets will cause you to live less long and yeah. how uh, people uh, diabetics can uh, can reverse their diabetes on a vegan diet. Right. I'm going to drill into the science. So that, that brings us to the topic of, uh, of projects and, uh, how we get funded. Mm. Uh, and everything that we've done, whether it be Keto Fest or, uh, the ketogenic forums or this, uh, podcast or any of the other podcasts we've done have all been listener funded. They've right. all been supported by listeners. And some of our listeners have got deep pockets and they've, uh, helped us quite well um mm-hmm. and uh some of our listeners are, uh, you know have small amounts every every month uh somebody somebody reverses their diabetes all the time um right yeah on a ketogenic diet and uh people are very grateful And we would just like to thank everybody who's done that for us because that's enabled us to do what we do
0: yes and uh up till now we've been able to afford it because of some of our deeper pocket contributors um yeah but that is changing, and uh, we're going to need to rely more on our Patreon account uh, to fund these things that we're doing, and that's where you come in. If you're not already a Patreon, please go mm-hmm. to patreon2 and help us, because we're doing this as a hobby right now, and mm-hmm. we'd really – I would prefer not to have to go get a full-time programmer job to pay my <laughs> mortgage, <laughs> and I would prefer to keep doing Two Keto Dudes and Keto Woman Keto Families – and keto kids uh for for all of you guys for for years and years to come so please help us do that by going to patreon.2keto.com and making a pledge all right enough of that let's give away some swag Sure. Every show we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. Yep, and today we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub2 We also need to mention a caveat, most of our vendors can only ship inside the United States. That's right. However, if we happen to pick someone outside the US, we will find something to send you, but it probably won't be all of the stuff in the treasure trove. Hmm. So who's our winner this week? Today's winner is Stephanie Petinella.
1: Congratulations, Stephanie. Yeah. Let's tell everybody
0: what Stephanie's won. Sure. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug that says, Keep Calm and Keto On. And by the way, it has our mugs on it. Yeah, it does.
1: We're also giving away a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Kenberry Online at lies.twoketo.com.
0: And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving, online at steviasweetbbq.com.
1: And a cheese-making kit from Wine & Whey. Pam Zorn gave everybody at Fest a kit so they could make their own fresh mozzarella. That's available online at wineandwhey.com. That's W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com.
0: And a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com.
1: We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean, along with a copy of her protocol and the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto online at magmiracle.com.
0: And we're also giving away a big bottle of fasting drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes, and you just drop a little in your water, and fasting is a breeze. Online at FastingDrops.2Keto.com.
1: And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla. Online at
0: Sated.2Keto.com. And from Keto & Co., a sampler six-pack, bag of brownies, four bags of different flavored cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread. Online at
1: KetoAnd.co. And finally, a bag of everything bagels from Fox Hill Kitchens, made with yeast, but no wheat or gluten, online at bread.2keto.com.
0: And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com.
1: I think it's time for a little segment we call. Well! Short and sweet. <laughs> what you got, Carl? <laughs>
0: All right, well, we got a new review on Apple Podcasts, and of course, that was iTunes at one point, so if you don't know what mm-hmm. that is, there you go. And mm-hmm. uh, man, the number of five-star reviews that we have is almost embarrassing, Yeah. but, but it's great to hear these stories. So, uh, this person says, thank you for being honest, scientific, and joyful. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I cave or crave, this podcast and the forum get me back on track. Sure, I've lost 60-ish pounds, but more importantly, my physical and mental health has improved. Being 38 years old with a two-year-old and a daughter due any day, I know this lifestyle and podcast will give me years to enjoy my family. How cool is that? Nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, and you're definitely welcome. That's all I got short and sweet. What do you got? I've got a dumpster fire that I started on Facebook. Oh, no. And it,
1: it, Yeah, it, it happened because there was an article in the news about how Australia was on target to eradicate the uh, disease German measles or rubella. Okay. And, in fact, I think we've removed all endemic infections of it from Australia. Okay. Um, and I made the comment... It, on Facebook, you know, that this is what happens when you get herd immunity high enough. The virus cannot spread fast enough to sustain that type of rolling contagion that we used to have uh, in the 90s. Um, okay. And it, it happens once a, a population goes above a certain threshold. Once people live in a dense enough environment, the distance from one person to the next means that the virus can spread very quickly. Mm. This is what herd immunity means. Okay. If enough people have immunity, then it just slows a virus fast enough for their immune system to be able to to stop it. Um, Got it. And it, it won't spread. And so it, and there's a lot of people who think that uh, herd immunity sounds like um, socialism or, you know, it's, 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 oh, okay. it's all very well and good in theory, but, you know, it's not in practice. I remember when I went to university the first time around in the 80s, I was doing pure math, and... One of the first, uh, assignments I had to do was to model, uh, the process of herd immunity. And, uh, you know, it's a, it was a computer model and basically you set up, uh, and you can, you can see these online. I'll put a link to one of them, okay. um, in the show notes, but, but you, you can, you can try these simulators. You can basically say, look, I'm going to say that, um, that my virus has a 70% chance of spreading from one person to another, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to give my population a 30% chance of being immune to the virus. And then you just infect one, you click on one person in, in the population, and you watch to see whether the virus will spread or not. And if you have enough people have a minimum amount of immunity, then it slows the virus enough so that it doesn't sort of propagate wow, and, uh, through a community. And that's the thing with, you know, this is the thing, not everybody can get a um, vaccination. You know, the, the elderly, the, the people who are immunocompromised, um, right. children. So not everyone can get a, a vaccination. And so, but if they are surrounded with enough, people who are vaccinated, there's a good chance that that the infection won't get to them. So that's the theory. But, of course, there's a lot of people in the ketogenic community um, who are also uh, anti-vaxxers. Right. And, and, you know, one of the comments that I got was, you know, uh, uh, seriously, you understand the propaganda surrounding LCHF, but you have no understanding of vaccine safety. So, you know, it's Uh. really that the the argument is, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist about the whole uh, calories in, calories out, then surely you must be a conspiracy theorist about uh, vaccines. And and that doesn't necessarily follow it. I think it's important. I I really want to put a marker down here and say that it's important for diabetics, for type two diabetics, for whom a ketogenic diet is a cure or at mm. least it's a, it's a reversal of their disease. Right. Um, it's too important to be conflated with a lot of other... Uh, I mean, I, I don't really want to say fringe, but anti-vaxxing is a fringe. Um, fluoride is a fringe. Raw milk is a fringe. The, the, these are things that may turn out to be true, but the science is not there, whereas the science behind the ketogenic diet um, has been there for uh, 20 or 30 years and it's only getting stronger and so you know it's one of these things that you know the ketogenic diet
0: is something that the orthodoxy would not agree with. Yeah and it's sort of understandable because of the nature of you know how the ketogenic diet came about you you really Mm. have to flip conventional wisdom on its head and so it does really appeal to those who you know, the, the anti-vaxxers and the, the people who think that conventional scientific advice is wrong. Acro- you know, mm. Maybe across the board, maybe not across the board. The contrarians. Board, but, but they're yeah. contrarians. Yeah. But, but, you yeah. know, it sort of fits the model that, you know, mm. it, everybody's stupid, don't listen to anybody. And right. that's just not the case. It, like you said, it's based on science. And, you know, when, when the anti-vaxxers come up with science to show that Yes, uh taking this vaccine or that vaccine can have harmful effects and guess what some of them do but it's mm, not an yeah. across the board thing. You have to take mm. every vaccine and every treatment on an individual basis. You can't lump them all into the same um to the same thing.
1: Yeah, and certainly don't don't conflate them with ketogenic diets because, right. you know, just because it's contrarian doesn't necess- doesn't mean that uh um, it's not supported by science, which it is. Uh, yes. We just have to wait for some dinosaurs in the Dietitians Association to to, to move out of the way and let these young whippersnappers uh, <laughs> take
0: control. Totally agree. Just try not to lump everything into the same bucket and take every piece of science on its own merit. I think yeah. that's the, the piece of advice. Speaking of science, yeah, uh, we have an interview with a
1: real scientist. Yes, we do. This man, I caught up with him on, at Low Carb Gold Coast, and this is Professor Stephen Finney, and he's the guy that invented
0: nutritional ketosis. Well, he invented the term. He, he coined did, the phrase. But he was
1: also the only researcher for many years. That's you right. Know, he was the only researcher. Uh, we talk about the science behind that supports a low-carb diet. Right. This man produced most of it. This man and, and Eric Westman, I think, and, and Jeff, Jeff Ollick. Ollick. Yeah. Um, You know, the, these are... Uh, and there's a few others like Tom D'Agostino, but, but for the most part, Stephen Finney is the godfather and he likes to be called the grandfather of nutritional ketosis.
0: Grandpa keto. All right. Let's roll the conversation.
1: I'm at low carb down under at the Gold Coast still. And this time my unique privilege is to speak to the godfather of nutritional ketosis, Professor Stephen Finney, who has come to Australia to speak at a, at a series of of conferences, and this, this is the last one before he heads back home. And I thought we might talk about the subject of satiety, because for a supposedly weight loss diet, this is unique about nutritional ketosis, isn't it? That uh, y- that your diet is ad libitum. And I think it's one of the own, all of the other diets seem to be you know tricks and techniques to to stop eating prior to satiety.
2: Yeah, it's it's a well known observation among people who use or have tried themselves or uh, practitioners who use a ketogenic diet that people seem to be able to lose weight um, more readily and for a longer duration of time Mm. than when employing a calorie-restricted diet, particularly one which is high enough in carbohydrates that it prevents nutritional ketosis. Right. And so there's multiple published studies with calorie restricted diet say 1200 or 1400 calories a day which mm-hmm. for the average heavy person induces a 1000 calorie per day deficit yeah that as the diet goes on
1: mm.
2: hunger and cravings increase yeah and so there is essentially a some termination point driven by physiological hunger
1: your ability to resist
2: <laughs> yeah it's sort of like resisting a slow inexorable force eventually it gets the better of you and you you abandon the diet no
1: matter how stoic you are <laughs> yeah
2: well there, there are people who can do this for 6 months and lose a lot of weight right it's rare that anybody goes beyond 6 months with a purposeful calorie restriction yeah you know there's some of the calorie restricted longevity advocates hmm. who can on average, do this for years, but they're very rare. Yeah. They're very rare that people can do that. Yeah. So, you have a a crescendo of subtle, I mean, cravings and overt hunger,
1: Mm -hmm. symptoms
2: that build over time, Yeah. and most people see the opposite for for six months or longer Mm. uh, with a well-formulated ketogenic diet, and many people, you know, experience this. Reduction in hunger and cravings. You know, the appetite is there, you know, a couple times a day. They feel, you know, a need to eat and are satiated, but it's, it's rarely as compelling as, as what builds up as one follows a prolonged calorie-restricted non-ketogenic regimen. Yeah.
1: In fact, you actually use satiety as part of your signaling mechanism to determine how much energy somebody should take in, eat to satiety, fat to satiety. And there is a spontaneous recalibration over the period of weight loss where the body fat is producing less energy and the person tends to spontaneously eat a little bit more Fat on their plate, and you you're famous for the, the the four charts
2: where you show this yes. recalibration effect. But actually, just kind of surfing on that a little mm. bit in terms of internal regulation, yeah. there was some elegant research done in the 1950s, back when you know, post World War II there were, there wasn't a whole lot of research money available, and there was yeah. a, a a remarkable uh, scientist in the UK named uh, Professor John Garrow. Okay, and he had a a country escape place, maybe in, 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 a, 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 in a village in, in uh, the Scottish Highlands. Right. And there were about 300 people who lived in this village. Mm-hmm. And he would go there for a few weeks or a month every summer, I mean, whatever that three-week window was of summer in Scotland. <laughs>
1: yeah, right.
2: And, you know, it was just a place to go and get away from the city, from from London. Mm. But since he was there, he'd bring along a scale. Mm-hmm. And he weighed everyone in the village. Okay. Year after year, he weighed everyone in the village.
1: And, and, and took their names, so he knew. Yep. Right.
2: And, and they all knew him, and yeah. he knew them. He was a crazy <laughs> yeah. professor from, from London. The and man with the
1: scale. The <laughs> man with the
2: scale. And, <laughs> and he would record their weight year after year. And, mm. you know, kids and adolescents gained weight- Uh, Women, when they uh, uh, were pregnant, gained weight. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they retained a few pounds after each pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But for barring pregnancy and barring uh, major illness or disease in the adults, their weights were remarkably stable for years and even decades at a time. Now, the average adult eats somewhere between 750,000 and a million calories a year. And yet Mm. their bodies, you know, a a normal-weight adult, body will contain anywhere from 50 to 100,000 calories. So people were eating 10 to 20 times their weight and energy each year, and yet their weight was just staying stable within a few pounds. Right. And they weren't counting calories. Nobody was saying, eat this much or eat that much. Yeah. Which implies that we, we, under unperturbed circumstances- Without derangement, yeah. We as adults have internal instincts that let us get within 1%. That's a remarkable- Of our daily energy intake year in and year out.
1: That's a remarkable accuracy.
2: Yeah. And there are some people who are gaining persistently. But mm-hmm. you know, this is the 50s, and yeah. we didn't have a huge amount of sugar and re- you know, highly refined carbs, and particularly in Scotland, you know. And mm, you, sure. you can't get fat eating haggis, you know. <laughs> so, clearly, when you get the even a, a carb-containing diet right, most people have homeostatic mechanisms that are very precise and are instinctive. Yeah. So, what we – Seem to have discovered Mm. is that when we get people on a well-formulated ketogenic diet, we recreate those instinctive mechanisms, but not at the weight that you're at now, but by inducing nutritional ketosis, somehow that sets... the the new target for the body's homeostatic mechanism at a lower level. Right. People have called that the set point. Yeah. uh, And uh, I think we should call it a settling point because it's settling Mm. because you can change it by changing diet composition. Yeah. Uh, But nutritional ketosis seems to induce a new settling point for people Mm. that may not be exactly where they want to be, but a lot lower than where they are in a insulin-resistant, particularly with diabetes or metabolic syndrome uh, disease state. So –
1: how would you define a nutritionally ketogenic diet, being that you you came up with the term, you invented it, so you get to be the definitive definition. So
2: Yes. And by <laughs> the way, I prefer to be called the grandfather of nutritional <laughs> okay. ketosis, not the godfather. Not the
1: godfather, okay. Uh, you Fair know, enough.
2: I, I don't take out contracts on people.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Back in the late 1970s, when I initiated this line of research, all we physicians were taught were... Know that not having measurable ketones in your blood or in your urine was a good thing, mm. and that k- ketones were, were a toxic byproduct of fat metabolism. Uh, and when we saw them, it was usually in, in the in the circumstance of either total starvation because someone had been stuck in a lifeboat without food, or yeah. that that somebody was in ketoacidosis. Mm. And so, we define nutritional ketosis as ketones in a a range which had no threat to the Mm. body, and we now know actually has multiple, not just fuel benefits, but health signaling benefits. And so, that's a range that begins at maybe 0.5 millimolar, Mm -hmm. uh, seems to be more beneficial when one gets to one millimolar, and the range between one and three appears to be a good zone for fueling and signaling within mm. the body mm. and yeah people sometimes say oh your ketones are elevated to one to into one to 3 range i say no mm-hmm. they're in the one to 3 range yeah. that's not elevated that's a normal physiological state for people when they're eating a diet that would reflect a traditional hunter or herder mm. society's diet yeah so one gets there by limiting carbohydrates for most people, unless they're very physically active, under 50 grams per day. And mm-hmm. for people who are insulin resistant, more to more in the, uh, the 30 gram per day of total carb yeah. intake range. Keep And keeping protein in moderation, because again, the more one increases protein above the required amount to maintain lean body mass, mm. the rest of that protein is turned into carbohydrate and yeah. can, can influence ketone production.
1: Yeah, it, protein really isn't a good energy source. It's like the third... Source of energy, I guess. If you don't include alcohol or um, sugar alcohols well, or the alcohol, ketones, then,
2: then protein is <laughs> a fourth energy yeah, source. Okay, extra protein. There are no benefits and considerable downsides to mm. to overeating protein. And again, when we look at Aboriginal cultures where mm. we have accurate measurements, uh, and that means you know, where learned individuals, learned literate individuals, yeah. uh, could observe and write down what people were eating. Whether mm. they, Were they the Maasai people in the Great Rift Valley? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were uh, some British researchers who lived among them when they were still following their mm. their original pastoral diet. Right. The Native Americans of the Great Plains, their lifestyle was recorded by a remarkable painter named George Catland who mm. traveled among them in the 1830s uh, because that was the time before the camera. Mm. Uh, he felt that, that he knew that, that they were going to be displaced from their, from their ancestral lands, so he took paints and, and paintbrushes and canvases and went west of the Mississippi. And there are now still 250 of his paintings and two thick volumes of his writings that, mm. that recorded the lifestyle of these people and the ones who were nomadic and followed the buffalo, who didn't plant corn, beans, sure. squash. Mm. Um, uh, lived on a, on a, a almost totally carnivorous diet with some gathered foods, mm. uh, but very low in carbohydrate. And what we find from those two cultures, the Maasai, the, the Buffalo people of the Great Plains, and the Inuit in the Arctic, is that they habitually ate a very moderate protein intake and a very mm. high fat intake. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a high fat diet. Yeah. Uh, so they somehow instinctively figured out that from a macronutrient maintenance intake, um, that about 15% of energy intake as hmm. protein appeared to be the right amount. But since the carb intake was so low, that was, that put them in the 80% of energy as fat intake when they right. were maintaining their weight. Yeah. Uh, so it's very different than the high-protein diet that many people uh, assume that this is, and, and, and even the, the about twice that protein intake that is typically the target for the paleo approach to low-carb nutrition.
1: Yeah, I know that Aboriginal Australians prioritize the, the tail of the kangaroo. And the kangaroo itself is really quite lean. Kangaroo meats delicious, but when I cook with it, I always have to add extra fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tail is where most of the fat is, and it's also convenient because it's a handle that you can carry as you're walking you know, <laughs> through the bush. and yep. so uh, and so you would see um, you know a, a, a family group ca- walking carrying this fatty Kangaroo tail uh, by the tail, and they'd toss the rest of the, the the meat. the The brains would go to the children as 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 baby food. So mm-hmm. they'd they'd mash the brains up for baby food, and then the hunters would get the tail at priority, and then all of the lesser people in the in the family would get more lean and more mm-hmm. increasingly more lean meats. So they also used to hunt the turtles only in the season where the turtles were fattest, and so they they and this is. Australia is is unique in that it's a continent that doesn't make a lot of carbohydrates. I think our most carbohydrate laden grain is wattle seed, which is only ten percent carbs, ten percent mm-hmm. starch. So, um, and also, I think the the only real sugars are from insects, honey ants and bees, and and so there's not a lot of sugar here. So this is a population of people who couldn't live on a high carbohydrate diet, and as you say, they they instinctively. Possibly over sixty thousand years, that instinct kicked in. Sure. They they, they developed this this eating practice, which, uh, uh, as you say, is is you know it's, it's it's mostly energy from fat. Sure.
2: Among the people who uh, followed the buffalo mm. in their seasonal migration, mm. um, they in the in the fall they the the the, the time to to. For their major hunting was was in the fall when the buffalo had built up uh, subcutaneous fat for right. both energy reserve and, and and insulation. Yeah, and some buffalo males would have a back hump, mm. a, a hump of fat on the rear part of their back that would weigh up to a hundred kilograms. Wow, a fat. couple hundred pounds of yeah. fat. Mm. And you know, you skin the buffalo, you take off this. <laughs> Literally you have two people carrying the saddle of fat. Mm. Uh, and of course, they would save that. They'd dry the meat. They'd make something called pemmican. So they'd dry the meat, either sun dry it or smoke it to dry it, yeah. pound it into a, 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 a soft fibrous mix, mm. in, you know, put it, stuff it into a rawhide sack, and then pour in the rendered hot fat. And you'd get this block of meat encased in fat. And of course, this is ruminant fat, so it's solid at room temperature, kind of like butter. Yeah. A little more higher in in fat or in in saturated fat than butter content. Mm. And you could carry that sack with you for months, if not up to a year uh and the energy density was such that if you are in camp not working hard you could live on a pound of that pemmican per day
1: that's incredible um yeah.
2: so they treasured the fat but in the spring and early summer and late winter when mm-hmm. the when the fat amount was reduced as you say they would selectively consume the animals mm. uh and the the treasured parts were the fat around the kidneys um the tongue the tongue always had fat in it, the, and tongue's the bone in yeah. the b- bone marrow of and you would find these piles of cracked uh, mm. Buffalo long bones, yeah. you know, smash them open with stones and scoop out the marrow. Mm. Uh, and, of course, before they got the horse, they were dog people. Yeah. Uh, they lived for 10,000 years with dogs. Right. They only had horses for the last 300 years before mm. they were s- sort of driven into reservations by, sure. by people with guns. Right. Um, but, mm-hmm. again, they th- the dogs got the lean. Yeah. Because dogs can live on up to 50% of their energy intake. Coming from from the from protein lean, component yeah, of food, yeah. whereas humans, if we go over thirty percent, we begin to get sick.
1: Yeah, I think it's the. I, I saw a paper that said that the process genesis saturates at roughly three point three grams per kilogram of lean body mass intake. So, so that really that's really the cap, and above that, some people can can make urea better than others, mm-hmm. uh, but above that, you start getting into the danger zone. I think that you. I remember you talking about um, uh, rabbit starvation, male caribou. In Arctic explorers, and that is that's really where you get this cap of amount of energy that you can get from protein sure
2: yeah the Inuit knew that in the springtime they had to find sources of fat, and so they would get out um, when they came uh, they would be out on the ice hunting seal mm. um, but once the ice broke up and until the caribou returned, um, that was a period of privation, and they, their weight would cycle yeah. about with the availability of the hunt mm. um. Uh, but they also had uh, early runs of fish, and there are certain fish, and certainly eels were a, ah. a rich source. Real Eels, interestingly, are about 25% by weight fat. Really? Uh, and so...
1: Appen- um, apparently Ansel Keys was a famous eel physiologist. <laughs> oh. I heard.
2: <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. No, apparently. And <laughs> a few times I met him, he didn't, didn't brag he about that. He didn't mention that. it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hear a lot of people talking about... Um, uh, you know, I, I eat a lot of protein, and I still make ketones. Are they are they necessarily on a, a ketogenic diet? I guess if they're making ketones, in theory, it's ketogenic, but it's not nutritional ketosis.
2: Yeah, if, if one is not eating any dietary carbohydrate, although mm. um, any visible carbohydrates from right. vegetable sources or, or grains, yeah, um, uh, and one eats you know two and a half grams of protein per kilogram reference body weight. Mm. Um, one can still be in ketosis, yeah. but the ketones go- are somewhat higher when you're at 1.5 grams per kilo. Yeah. Um, so, you know, someone can follow, a, you, know, you know, the current kind of concept of a carnivorous diet mm. uh, in the, uh, you know, uh, 2 to 3 gram per kilo protein intake range right. uh, and still have ketones. Um, again the more insulin resistant a person is the, the, the greater the tendency for them to be held down yeah the more physical activity someone has particularly endurance physical activity that's a factor that helps bring ketones up somewhat right but the uh, when we give one point and in, in my study on bicycle racers that we published in 1983 mm. we gave them 1.5 grams per kilo as as um, um, meat and fat yeah um, with uh, no vegetable matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their ketones averaged about 2.5 millimolar. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't do a high protein range in that metabolic ward study to look at the effect of um, uh, more or less doubling the protein intake. Yeah, the, you, the ketones would have been lower than that. They
1: would have been, Yeah, yeah, and potentially zero potentially that
2: well potentially certainly under uh, 0.5 yeah yeah okay so um
1: one of my favorite studies of yours is the is the metabolic ward study where you uh had i think it was 16 women you locked in a metabolic ward and you fed them identical meals and you had half of them exercise and half of them not and would you like to talk about that one because that that was fascinating that was counterintuitive the results from that are counterintuitive but when you think about it it makes sense that the body's you know Prioritizing its energy intake, and uh, and if you're going to get get exercise, uh, do you want to talk about that?
2: Well, again, that was th- that was not a food diet. That was a formula weight loss diet. Oh, okay. Of, of about 800 calories per day, mm-hmm. um, and there, there were it was a total of 12 women. Half of them remained sedentary. The other half we had uh, add in exercise. We gave them the first week of the very low calorie diet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which had 30 grams of carbs per day. Okay. Um, we gave them the first week of that diet to begin the adaptation process. And then we eased them into exercise by doing half an hour a day, the second week of the study, an hour a day of exercise. And this was monitored on a stationary cycle. Mm. And then for the last, so first week, none, half an, half an hour per day, the second week, right. third week, an hour a day. And then weeks four and five, we had them do two hours a day. Mm. Uh, now, this was a, at a very modest uh, pace. This is 60% of peak aerobic power, okay. which uh, for them was, you know, exercising at a, an energy expenditure of about 350 calories per hour. Okay. So, they were burning about, at, at the two hours per day um, uh, l- rate, that was about 700 calories per day. And that about equaled the amount of calories they were eating with right. a which is yeah. seven to 800 calories per day. So, in theory, they should have been a net zero and what we and what I was pursuing was this concept that exercise that exercise counters the weight or the resting metabolic rate depression that comes with caloric restriction. I see. So the six women who did n- no exercise, mm-hmm. no purposeful exercise, other right.
1: than Set know, w- and walking yeah.
2: around the metabolic ward. <laughs> yeah, those six women had a ten percent reduction in resting metabolic rate that, that occurred in the first week, and then that. W- that, that Reduction in metabolic rate was stable for the rest of the study. Right. So the body sensed immediately that it was in a privation condition. turned the thermostat down by ten percent. Yeah. But as they got the enough protein to preserve lean body mass, enough minerals to, to you know, fill in the cracks between the protein and allow the body to maintain uh, physiological functions. Yeah. That ten percent was a constant. Uh, response to the, that degree of caloric restriction,
1: and in, insulin was low enough so that they could mobilize energy out of the fat stores and to mobilize it into mitochondria to be oxidized.
2: Yeah, the average so, the average women so that, yeah. that studied lost uh, six kilograms right in six weeks or mm-hmm. in five weeks. Yeah, uh, so that was uh, a, uh, and it was it was. A variation between individuals, mm. you know, some lost faster, some lost slower. Yeah. Um, but what was fascinating is that the resting metabolic rate to the group that the six who did the exercise, mm-hmm. as we added half an hour, one hour, and then two hours of per week of exercise, again, they came down 10% the first week because then they were doing no exercise, just sure. like the control group. Mm. But then the added exercise caused a progressive further decrease mm-hmm. in <laughs> right. resting metabolism. Yeah. So at the end of the five weeks of the intervention, their the full effect of caloric restriction plus exercise was a 25% right. reduction in resting metabolism
1: and and no significant difference in 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 weight loss
2: there was no difference in weight right. loss yeah
1: none so so it's 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 and that's remarkable because you would think if if you take two people and one person, and they eat the same thing, and one person exercises one, two, up to two hours on a treadmill, walking mm-hmm. at a f- probably jogging at a, at a reasonable pace on the treadmill. We had a stationary cycle. A oh, stationary cycle, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but you know, <clears throat> on a stationary cycle at a at a at a, at a reasonable uh, pace. Yeah, you know, they
2: were they were breathing, but not huffing and puffing.
1: All right. Yeah. So that's I mean, that's were- what most of us would do at the yeah. gym if we we're on sure. a aerobic kick. And so uh, you would expect that the person who spends two hours on a treadmill every day uh, is going to lose more weight than the person who sits on the couch and does nothing but eats the same amount of food. And And
2: these people found that that these were not Hmm. people who traditionally or habitually did a lot of exercise. Yeah. But what they found that two hours of exercise to be a lot of work. Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) But realize there's 24 hours in a day. They're spending two hours a day on the treadmill yeah yeah you know and tripling their rate of energy expenditure mm-hmm. but when they for the other twenty two hours for the other twenty two hours a day, if their metabolic rate was reduced by an additional fifteen percent at right. resting metabolic rate, you add it up, and that amount cancels out the exercise yeah so the body had very accurately done the math yeah and said you're feeding me seven or eight hundred calories a day. But then you're forcing me to do seven or eight hundred calories a day of, of of energy expenditure with exercise. Yeah. So this looks to me, me, my body saying yeah. this looks to me like total starvation. Yeah. And we know from study after study of of fasting where mm. people fast for three to six weeks sure. that there is a very dependable, on average, twenty five percent reduction in resting mm. metabolic rate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this just gets back to our energy homeostasis, but gets us back to satiety because it's all part of the same system. It, mm-hmm. It's that we think that, I mean, intuitively, we, we think that the person who did the more exercise should lose more weight or the amount of calories that we eat minus the energy that we, that, that we calculate that we're using. If we mess with that ratio, we should be able to gain or lose weight. And it, it, it just shows that the body is a little bit smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Our, our energy output is linked to the uh, energy intake it's it's a, in mathematical terms it's a complex function so uh, I, a-
2: yeah, I wouldn't they just correct that, that okay. i wouldn't say smart <laughs> i would say that we have a highly evolved instinctive mechanism that we don't control intellectually yes that regulates our energy balance mm-hmm. and when we undergo periods of privation the body goes into uh, conservation mode mm-hmm. and most people when they're overfed it increases their Resting metabolism, but some people increase much more than others. There's some people can who can overeat a lot, and their metabolism speeds up, and they'll burn that extra off. Other people, their body says, "Good, great, thanks. I'm going to put it in, put it in the bank account." Yeah. Um. So, you know, we there's inter-, inter individual variation to that response, but we all have highly evolved autonomous regulatory mechanisms. Yeah. And so, again, that the what we've learned to to leverage is when we put people on a ketogenic diet, we take away the high insulin storage signal yeah. or markedly reduce it, is we give the per- body permission to kind of to increase its rate of fat oxidation. Yeah. And that rate of fat oxidation initially is not countered by fat hunger. Right. Uh, but again, we've come to predict, see in ourselves when we try this on ourselves and predict for our patients mm. that once they get to a new homeostatic level, Yeah. Um, there is a signal that as long as you don't eat carbs, that, that says eat more fat. Mm, yes, and and you know when we tell people about this, they say, oh yeah, that's happening to me. <laughs> you know, I open the refrigerator and the butter looks good. Yeah, or yeah. I walk through, pa- through the past the grocer's case. Yes, and I look at at skim milk or non fat yogurt, and I say, "Ooh," but the high fat <laughs> yogurt or the right. the full fat cream and cheese looks good. Once you tell people that this could be occurring, and I, we're not planting a seed, we're just helping them uh, see what what is instinctively there, driving their their desire to eat. Yeah. That uh, it appears the body can adjust what looks good to it to uh, match its physiological needs.
1: Yeah, something in our environment perturbed us, it deranged us, and, and some people have said it's seed oils, high amounts of polyunsaturated oils in our diet, or trans fats, or carbohydrates, um, at, but whatever it is, whatever thing makes us go off the rails, we definitely go off the rails. I was, I, I was 150 kilos, and I, when I was, went on a ketogenic diet within about five months, I was 100, and, 103 kilos was where I, I lighted, and I've gotten down to 101 various times, and I'm currently 106.
2: And that's been for how many years now?
1: It's four years. Yeah. And, and I, I eat to satiety. I um, I eat ad, ad libitum. I eat whatever I want as long as it's not carbs.
2: And in that interval of time, you've probably eaten, I'm guessing this is going to horrify you, four <laughs> million calories, Okay. and yet your weight has varied four kilos. Yes, which means uh 20,000 calories out of 4 million. You can yeah. do the Yeah, just, exactly. Yeah, 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 the and you haven't counted calories in that time no, period n- I
1: guess. Not not once. Yeah. I, I have I have measured what I ate sometimes because mm-hmm. I I do various and one experience right. experiments yeah. as we all do. Mm-hmm. But um it's a little bit like uh, I just turned down the thermostat and then the AC and the heater did all of the job of of regulating the room to the new to to the new normal. But that um um it was, it was effortless. And what makes it a major epiphany for me and what caused me to then become a podcaster and then go back to school to do biochemistry was that I went for 20 years unable to control, knowing that I had to eat less or move more, unable to do either. And all of a sudden I make a slight change. It's just a remarkable thing. So it, 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 it is the hallmark of the, of the, the ketogenic diet or nutritional ketosis. Uh, and you've actually shown experimentally and clinically, um, with the Verta study, you, you, you work for a company called Verta. You're the chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with, uh, Sarah Holberg, who's been on our podcast before, uh, you've done an interesting experiment, haven't you?
2: Would you, would you like to if talk about it? We've had the opportunity to do a fascinating experiment. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically a proof of concept around some of the, the, uh, you know, based on some of the prior shorter-term research that Jeff Volek and I have done, um, uh, in in which uh, we've taken p- in previously people with metabolic syndrome, which is pre-diabetes, which yeah. is associated like diabetes with underlying insulin resistance and mm-hmm. inflammation. Yeah. And with a well-formulated ketogenic diet, we see a prompt before major weight loss a prompt mm-hmm. reduction in insulin resistance and a prompt reduction in inflammation biomarkers. Yeah. And we do that with patients who have weight to lose uh, without counting calories, just holding carbohydrates low enough and protein in moderation so they go into nutritional ketosis. People, without counting calories, lose quite a bit of weight. Mm. And typically it's in the 10 to 20% of their uh, uh, initial body weight.
1: I think for me it was 33% So mm-hmm. in the end, so.
2: Again, you're...
1: Maybe I'm an outlier.
2: <laughs> well, I, I would say you're, you uh, uh, have brought a unique uh, perspective to this that, that probably enhances your ability to do this hmm. because of your desire to understand the process.
1: That, that's very, uh, co- and, very true, probably, yeah.
2: And so in, in the study that we did with Sarah Hallberg hmm. uh, when we'd started the company uh, Verta Health, and we were looking for a, a, a proof-of-concept study to demonstrate not just that this works in the short term, but that we can put people on a well-formulated ketogenic diet, keep them on that diet, not by force, but by education.
1: Right.
2: and They're, they're willingly
1: help, on it. They're, they're, they're help, invested help, in it. Yes. Yeah.
2: Help <laughs> them perceive the... the the biochemical benefits. You know, mm-hmm. we, they test their ketones with a with a, a blood finger stick blood ketone meter, but these are people with type two diabetes, and they're testing their glucose, and they're seeing values. Their 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 elevated values come down to the normal range. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, quite promptly, they're getting off of medications uh, that had unpleasant side effects and cost them considerable co pays for uh, in terms of cost of medication. So there are real observed benefits. Um, uh, and then, they're, they're, of course, with diabetes, they're tracking this biomarker called hemoglobin A1c. And mm-hmm. you know, for some of them, had diabetes for a decade. The average person right. had diabetes for six years when we enrolled them in the study. Mm. And you know, for six years, their physicians had been you know begging, cajoling, or even wagging their finger at them, saying, "Get your you know you got to get this thing down. You yeah. got to eat less, less move more. calories, move more, <laughs> yeah. uh, lose some weight." And of course, then they're giving them medications that make insulin, either insulin or sulfonylureas, that make insulin go up. Which sure. counters the yeah. the body's ability to burn fat. Yeah, uh, and yet when when people start seeing success, it's a um, you know, and they're empowered by that process.
1: It's before weight loss too. A lot of these things, so yeah, they, the, they're they, probably the, seeing glucose. Yeah, we
2: to- we get we we reduce medicines by more than ha- medications for diabetes by more than half and much of that occurs almost all of that occurs in the first month or two yeah and yet the weight loss goes on for eight months yeah Uh, the weight loss is again people are eating fat to satiety Mm -hmm. protein in moderation and carbs being restricted so that they keep their ketones up in the desirable range above 0.5 millimolar it's just the homeostasis they're not not counting calories and yet uh the weight loss isn't you know super fast Mm. But uh, you know, we, we saw, <laughs> on average, in this group of over you know 260 people with type 2 diabetes, the average weight loss was 12.5% at eight months. Wow. And then it flattened out and stayed constant out to the end of the first year. That
1: was pretty much my experience. And then I, st- I, I, I maybe... Went up a very small, modest amount, maybe mm-hmm. 10% of, of a retracement, but, but insignificant for, you know, a, for, I'm, uh, you know, it's a satisfactory weight loss. Sure. If, you know, I tell people this who hit a plateau all the time, you know, just think, you know, you're, you're however many, you're kil- so many kilograms away from where you started and you're complaining that you went up one or two kilo- <laughs> kilograms and you, you know, and mm-hmm. that you can't lose that last 10 kilograms of uh, fat that you'd like to use. But, the, you know, so far you've come.
2: You know, and part of part of this we have to realize is that being in nutritional ketosis is not magically going to make people go back to where they were no. at a younger age at a much leaner level, mm. um, and uh, so we can't you know recreate a a. The, the perfectly lean person people want to be. Yeah. So part of this is managing expectations. The average person who goes on a on a diet on a on a carbohydrate calorie restricted diet, the majority don't lose more than five percent of their initial body weight. Yeah. Ten uh, percent is a remarkable value. Twelve yeah. and a half percent. Yeah. And it's not persistent
1: so, either. They, they 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 put it all back on.
2: If 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 people are on a restricted diet, mm. typically weight is regained within one to two years oh. from the start of the diet. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, as you point out, um, you know, we, we have, we don't, we don't want to let, I guess the phrase is we don't want to let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm. Uh, and, and for, I think the statistic is fewer than 5% of people who undertake a weight loss diet, uh, for, for health reasons, mm. um, not just for, for, you know, vanity, but for health reasons, sure. fewer than 5% lose 30 pounds. Wow. You know, the mean weight loss in our study, I think, was 34 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the majority of, of people, um, uh, you know, if we were giving grades for this, they'd get an A or an A-plus grade. They sure would. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, we reverse diabetes in about half the people who who start our program. It, for the people who, retain, who stay in the program, and that's about 83% of the people stay in our program at the end of one year. Yeah. 60% of them have put basically our diabetes back into mm. – uh, into uh, a reversed state we don 't say remission we mm-hmm. obviously don 't say cure because if they go back to eating carbohydrates uh, that's going to come back yeah its it's but so their the defense between the return of diabetes and and their health is mm. continuing to restrict carbohydrates to keep these. You know, ancient little high potency molecules called ketones, working for them in their bloodstream. Yeah, and people can do. You know, it's feasible to do this long term as long as people are adequately coached and guided and understand that that the health benefits of sustaining the uh, state of nutritional ketosis.
1: Yeah, how long have people done this for? How how long have I mean, obviously, uh, obviously uh, Inuit people have done this for for. 20,000 years, maybe, but how, how long have, in the modern era, how long uh, have people uh, have followed your nutritional and ketogenic diet or a uh, uh, progenitor to yours? And, and I mean, do we have
2: information about
1: people who've done it for 10 years, 20 years? We have anecdotes, mm-hmm.
2: but I'm, uh, in terms of adults, we don't have that much experience with long-term use of ketogenic diets. Right. And in uh, from the early or from late nineteen seventies when I started doing research in this, through about uh, two thousand and ten. Mm. So d- over a thirty-year period of time, I did not promote a long-term ketogenic diet right. because I had not proven to my satisfaction that using modern foods. Mm. That it could be, really be safe. Yeah. I mean, we knew the Aboriginal cultures did this, but we destroyed those cultures before we studied them. Yes. I mean, we have some pretty good evidence around the Inuit, mm-hmm. um, fairly good evidence in terms of the Maasai, but we don't have detailed records of of what, if any, plant foods they ate. It is said that among the nomadic Native Americans who who lived on the buffalo mm. and followed the buffalo, it's said that the women tended to eat gathered foods, yeah, particularly during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And you can make, you know, there, there is a need for magnesium and potassium and phosphorus, and it may be sure. more than you get from getting enough um, energy from from a moderate protein intake. Mm. Um, So we didn't know the safety factors. And of course, there's this tremendous fear of fat that we have. And the idea that you feed someone 70 or 80% of their daily energy intake as fat is horrifying to anybody with, with, you know, a a basic or advanced nutrition education. Mm. and so I didn't. I didn't want to advocate something we hadn't proven safe. So working with Jeff Volock from 2003 till 2010, we basically researched the, the fate of saturated fats that were eaten. And it mm-hmm. turns out that when you become keto adapted, you you double the ability the body's ability to burn fat for energy. Right. Uh, both at rest and during exercise. Yeah. In highly trained runners who eat a high-carbohydrate diet, we found that the highest fat oxidation was less than one gram of fat per minute mm. at their peak fat burning during exercise. Yeah. The, the, uh, an identical person adapted to the ketogenic diet, not for a few weeks, but for three to six months or longer. Right. right? And it takes that mm-hmm. long. That keto-adapted runner can burn fat at two grams per minute. Wow. Um, 1.7 uh, grams per minute, as opposed to 0. 0.7 or 0. 0.8 grams per minute. Right. So we're so That's the rewriting
1: body. the rec- rewriting the the, the physics books on physiology. Yeah, it's, I mean.
2: it's 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 this, the 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 <laughs> you know, racing a four cylinder car against an eight cylinder car, and and <laughs> the, uh, the for fat oxidation, a keto adapted individual is an eight cylinder engine in terms of fat power, not four cylinder engine. Right. So they uh, can use fat much faster, and it turns out that the mo- that the um, Uh, Primary fuels the body likes are saturated and monounsaturates, and Mm. the saturates don't build up, even though people eat a lot of them, because they're being burned for fuel on a real-time basis. You know, the tank never doesn't overflow with saturates when it's being tapped into as the body's energy, uh, asleep, awake, running, walking, whatever.
1: I know there are some activists who say on a diet high in animal foods that uh, those are necessarily high in saturated fat. Uh, that they are necessarily bad for cardiovascular health because a buildup of saturated fat is linked to an instance of cardiovascular disease. Yes. But potentially those people aren't... It, it, that doesn't necessarily mean what you're eating is what's building up.
2: Yeah. It's, it, 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 there's this old adage that you are what you eat, yeah. and that's incorrect. Mm. The correct way to state that is you are what you save from what you eat. Right. So, the people who preach against saturated fat have it half right, hmm. that when you take a blood sample from someone and measure how much saturated fat there is in their blood, mm-hmm. and then you follow them for a decade and see what, how many people develop diabetes, heart disease, or, 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 or die of, of any cause, Yeah, the higher the saturated fat in the bloodstream, the greater the risk of diabetes, heart disease, and mortality. Mm. That's absolutely true. It's been yeah. shown in multiple studies mm. in multiple countries. But because nutritional ketosis doubles the body's capacity for fat oxidation, Mm. it basically protects the body from that buildup. And so when we purposely feed people three times as much saturated fat per day on a ketogenic diet for 12 weeks versus a low-fat diet with one-third as much. Saturated fat in the diet, and we draw the blood samples. Mm-hmm. The and this is these are weight loss diets, mm. but, uh, yes. you know, eaten to satiety in terms of the the ketogenic diet.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The people on the ketogenic diet actually have lower levels of saturated <laughs> fat in the blood, despite the fact eating three times as much. So right. it completely destroys this concept that you yeah. are what you eat. Uh, that you are what a, you you, uh, you are what's left from, you know, I...
1: After you've used it for energy. <laughs> I, I eat
2: 10 times my weight and energy each year, and what I have left is what my body's decided to save. And being on a ketogenic diet gives my body much more power yeah. to sift through those things and save the things it wants to save and not be forced to save things that might do me damage.
1: Yeah, potentially the people who are eating a high-carbohydrate diet are less able to metabolize uh, uh, saturated fats, and that's in why fact, they're hanging around.
2: In fact, for many of them... The, if they're insulin resistant they can't burn the carbohydrates adequately and that gets turned into saturated fat in the liver right and so you actually now we block the body's Mm -hmm. ability to burn the saturated fats that are always there but it forces the body to make more saturated fats wow
1: well this has been a fascinating chat. Thank you very much for this. It's been a great pleasure. And I look forward to seeing the next study coming out of Verda because I know you've got a two year study coming up, don't you?
2: Yes, we're in the process of, of writing our up our two year data. Yeah, excellent. So we have it, and we've analyzed it. <laughs> the difficulty there is you know getting past Peer-reviewed. The, pe- the peer-reviewed process, which has not been friendly to this in the past, but we yeah. think there's there's movement now, and some journals, the editors are mm-hmm. are more willing to to send their papers out to to potentially favorable review- reviewers, rather than sending them out to the ones who would dependably trash us for, yeah. for <laughs> preaching heresy. So, Richard, it's been great talking to yeah. you as well. Thank you. And uh, mm-hmm. I hope within six months or so we'll have this data out, and in the study we're doing with... Dr. Hallberg at Indiana University Health mm-hmm. is now slated to go for a full five years.
1: Excellent. Well, it's ve- two years is very important to me because two years is used as uh, as, a, as the, the discriminator for long-term dietary adherence and long-term dietary outcomes. And if you can show outcomes after two years that show people are getting healthier, then nobody can ever say that a ketogenic diet is not adequate for long-term use. Yes. And we're
2: also monitoring other biomarkers such as lipoprotein, particle sizes, biomarkers of inflammation. Great. So we'll have a lot of information going forwards that will inform us in Mm. terms of uh, how safe we feel this Mm. will be as a long-term strategy. And the safer it is, the more we can extend it out to less threatened segments of the population. But right now, we know people with diabetes have a marked increased risk of cancer and heart disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, any potential small increased risks that might be associated with... Uh, with some aspects of this diet are completely counterbalanced by the, the reversing all those risks of cardiovascular disease and, and cancer that that uh, are associated with diabetes.
0: Great, thank you. Wow, that's, it's so cool. And you know, there's nothing like science to show that um, satiety is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, if you stall, just keep calm and keto on, man. Yeah, pretty much. Eat to satiety. It is. I mean, that's that's the thing that's
1: unique about the ketogenic diet, really. Um, you know, it's uh, satiety is, is a is a fuel signal that works if you get the derangement out of the way. Um, you know, yeah, it'll tell you when you need to get more energy and when you don't.
0: Exactly. Well, that was an awesome interview. Thank you for getting that. You're welcome. So I think it's time for some recipes. <laughs> Man, I practically pegged it on that one. Yeah. Uh, you want to go 1st carl Cal's got a Valkyrie in his uh, audio booth. All right, so you go first,
1: Bob. Sure. Well, this is but here's the problem. It's Carnivember. We don't have recipes <laughs> for Carnivember. It's meat, salt, and water. It's not go. rocket surgery. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a trick for a snack in the fridge for when you're a bit peckish. Now, mm. you know. If you're you're carnivore, you probably won't be peckish. But if you just have a craving for just something, a little something. Right. uh, What I suggest doing is getting a tray, putting out some baking paper on that tray, parchment paper, and then laying bacon on it and putting another piece of parchment paper on it and putting another tray on top of it (laughs) and cooking it until that bacon is delicious. and. What you want to do is the reason for the, the tray on top is to make sure that the bacon stays perfectly flat. And then, while the bacon is still warm, pull it off the tray, and I put it in a in a in a uh, bowl in my fridge. And so I have a I have a bacon bowl in oh, the nice. fridge with flat, perfectly cooked bacon. The good thing about cooking it in the tray is that you don't render a lot of the fat out. That's so right. The fat is in situ. It and stays so, in it. Um, it stays in it, and so here's the trick: is uh, I have some Philadelphia cream cheese, mm. and I put a little smear of cream cheese on top of that bacon, and you know you can put a little smear of Vegemite on if that's your particular yeah, fancy. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's a little bacon cream cheese sandwich. It is. There you go. So that's my recipe. What do you got, Carl? That's a great one, and I do remember way back when we started this podcast, that was one of the strategies for keeping. In the, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the fridge, just a schmear of cream cheese on a piece of bacon and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So good. There you go. Yep. All right. Well, I don't have a Carnovember recipe because I just started mm-hmm. yesterday. So this mm-hmm. is the last non carnivore thing that I made. Mm-hmm. And, um, the recipe comes originally from resolutioneats.com. It's mm-hmm. low carb banana cream pie, but I modified it just a little bit. So, I'll I'll tell you what I did. So, it's banana cream pie without bananas. So, you're relying on banana flavoring. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest, but, you know, if you actually get that Jones for a bite of banana cream pie, it does the job. It'll do you. (laughs) All right. So, the filling, here's what you need. A 13 Mm -hmm. and a half ounce can of full fat coconut cream. Now, I use coconut cream. This recipe calls for coconut milk. Yep. And- uh, the cream just has fewer carbs in it, right? Mm-hmm. It's thicker. And more fat. And more fat, right. Three large egg yolks, a half a cup of sweetener, and uh, my sweetener du jour is allulose. Loving it, loving it. hmm Yep. A teaspoon of xanthan gum, mm-hmm. a teaspoon of vanilla extract, a teaspoon of banana extract, and 12 ounces of cream cheese that it's been softened. 12 ounces mm-hmm. is one and a half packages of Philly cream cheese. Right just so you know. And optionally, you can use some yellow food coloring if you want it to look yellow. It, <laughs> it does look a little yellow from the egg yolks, but, you know, yeah. not as yellow as banana would look. So for the topping, it's basically whipping cream, uh, two cups of whipping cream, but you're going to stiffen it up with gelatin. And so you basically melt an envelope of nox or whatever, unflavored gelatin, mm-hmm. in a few teaspoons of, of water. Hmm. and uh, I'll show you how to do that in a minute. You're also going to add a teaspoon of vanilla and three tablespoons of whatever sweetener du jour is, Mm -hmm. you know, that's measured to sugar. Yeah. All right, for the crust, they say use cooking spray. I don't like cooking spray because usually it has flour in it. In Australia, you can get uh, um, coconut oil in a cooking spray. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, if you can find that, awesome. Um, You can also get these pumps that you can put any kind of oil in avocado oil all right whatever yep and that's Mm -hmm. what i use so you want a half a cup of coconut flour uh a cup of super fine almond flour a third of a cup of ground flax seed meal and this was Mm -hmm. good i actually used the flax seed meal and it's good because it gives it a little nutty flavor that i like now the original Mm -hmm. recipe calls for a third of a cup of unflavored or vanilla whey protein powder Mm. and I just omitted that. Yeah. I added a little more almond flour. hmm Two tablespoons of your favorite sweetener, an eighth of a teaspoon of salt. I added a little bit more because I like that salty crust yep. on, on a banana cream pie. It, it stands up nicely against the sweet. hmm And a half a cup of melted butter, which is one stick. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, pretty much if you ever cooked a pie, you know what to do here. But um, for the filling, first you separate the egg uh, egg yolks – You beat the yolks a little bit and heat the coconut milk in a little saucepan over medium heat. You want it to be hot but not boiling. So if it boils, take it off the heat and wait for a minute or two. And you're only going to take a quarter of the cup of that coconut cream and mix that into the eggs slowly to temper them. And then you add that to the rest of the coconut cream uh, and Mm -hmm. and you lower uh, lower the heat. So on low heat. And now you mix uh, the sweetener and the xanthan gum together in a small bowl, and you sprinkle that over the coconut milk mixture, coconut cream, and mix that in. And you want to cook that for three or four minutes until it thickens up. Yeah, until it sets. Yep. Yep. Now you remove that from the heat and stir in the banana and vanilla extracts. hmm And uh, you add that to a medium-sized bowl. So take it off the heat and cover it with plastic wrap, or you can put it in a Tupperware and chill it in the mm-hmm. fridge for at least two hours. That's really important. You got to chill it. It's got to be cold all the way through. So now, while that's chilling, you make the crust. So you preheat the oven to 350 Fahrenheit, and you put your cooking spray or whatever it is on the on a pie pan. And you mix the dry ingredients together, and you add in the melted butter, and you just mix it up with your hands, and uh, it crumbles and now you just take that and press it into the pie pan with your fingers mm-hmm. evenly distributed and you want that to run up on the sides and around the little crimpy things that's a technical term crimpy things <laughs> technical term Chevy too yep. it's a very <laughs> chefy term yeah <laughs> and you want to dock it so you take a fork and you poke some holes in the bottom of the crust
1: that just stops bubbles from appearing
0: yeah exactly now you only bake it for 10 minutes and that's enough to brown it around the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go a little bit further, but you really don't want the crust to be so cooked that it just, you know, burns, right? You don't want it to, to really brown up. Now, I've got
1: these uh, little ceramic pie weights that are really good for, the, for yep. the, you know, keeping the pie down. You know, you just um, you, you crumple up some parchment paper, put it in the middle of the pie, and then put the weights on top of that, and that just keeps bubbles from appearing. And that's it right. also tends to, to stop, the pie crust from burning which is another thing
0: yeah that's that's a good point um there isn't any baking powder in here so it's not going to rise right but yeah if you want to take some marbles or some ceramic uh, beads or anything like that and put them in the bottom that's a classic technique for making pie crust Uh yep all right so now you're gonna dissolve the gelatin so what you do is you take a tablespoon of cold water in a small bowl and you sprinkle the gelatin on the top and you let that sit for two minutes and that's sort of just softens the gelatin. And mm-hmm. then you stir in a tablespoon of boiling water and you stir it all until it's all dissolved. And mm. it's going to be kind of thick, you know, but that's mm. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you use a mixer and you whip the heavy cream. We've talked about whipping cream before, but what I like to do is take a metal bowl and put it in the freezer for a minute or two. Yeah. And it gets it really cold. You need that. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, basically, uh, bring it to soft peaks and you add in a teaspoon of vanilla extract, three tablespoons of sweetener.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you slowly pour the gelatin mixture in and, you know, scrape it down. Right. And get all that stuff in there. Now you beat it up until it's stiff peaks, but yep. not until it's butter. You don't want to do that. <laughs> no, you don't <laughs> want butter. You, if you have
1: butter, you got to start from scratch again.
0: Yep. So now, in a large bowl, another bowl, you take the cream cheese and beat that until light and fluffy. And it should be softened. You know, it should be sitting out, uh, have been sitting out of the fridge for an hour or so. Sure. And now you slowly beat in the, the chilled pudding, the banana pudding, a little at a time. And if you want your food coloring, you put that in there afterwards. Mm-hmm. Now, the whipped cream, you're going to take half of it and fold that into the cream cheese pudding mixture. And if you've ever mm-hmm. folded egg whites, it's the same technique. You don't want to mix it. You don't want to stir it. You don't want to flatten the whipped cream. You want to just fold it over, turn, fold it over, turn. Yeah. And uh, now you basically put the filling into the cooled crust and the mm-hmm. remaining whipped cream goes on top. And you want to chill that in the fridge for at least three hours because you want the whole thing to set up. And, uh, right. man, it's... You know, if you haven't had banana cream pie in years, like I haven't, it's it's a welcome taste. Yeah, I tell you what might be useful there is uh,
1: doing it in muffin tins. Do like yeah. a dozen muffin tins and right. do little muffins, and then um, you know, just put a disc of the of the crust on the bottom, and then yeah, so yeah, uh, you know, just to portion it into yep. smaller portions as well.
0: So that's right. Nice.
1: That sounds delicious. Um, it's a lot. Sounds like a lot of hard work for a banana
0: cream pie. It's a lot of work. But, you know, if you have family members who really yeah. want that, you know, sweet hey, experience, Thanksgiving's and, coming up. Yeah. yeah. You want to put a little bit of effort into Thanksgiving, people? Come on, seriously. Get at it. There you go. Oh, and by the way, Thanksgiving is coming up, and we have uh, um, a whole series of Thanksgiving recipes on our blog, which we'll put in the show notes. We do. And that's it. Uh, that sounds awesome, mate. Yeah, very good. And that's a good show. Yeah. Of course, if you have anything you
1: want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything
0: that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com ketodudescom or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2ketodudes. Make sure to use the hashtag 2ketodudes. And of course, if you want to
1: join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the Ketogenic
0: Forum without needing to create an account by starting with success2 Right. And if useless swag is your fancy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk, head over to gear2 And
1: if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes Fan Club. You'll, you'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub2
0: And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce and everything else that we do here think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com.
1: And all of our stuff is listener-supported, and you can see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com.
0: And if you haven't already, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. 2 Keto Dudes is brought to you by 2 Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And now it's time for the wise wise saying keep calm keto on and fast when you can yeah
1: keep calm keto on carl and keto fest at least once a year
0: (laughs) and carnivore on right Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll see you next time on on two Keto 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 dudes